Well, let's think about power. What is the most powerful event or thing you've ever experienced? Well, for me, uh, that is the Niagara Falls. It's awesome to be there amongst the, the, the power, the majesty, the beauty. And one thing that's amazing to me about the Niagara Falls is you can get so close to that power. Well, how powerful are the Niagara Falls? Well, water rushes over the falls at speeds of up to 68 miles per hour. Every second, 2,800,000 liters of water pours over those falls. And those falls generate enough electricity to power 3.8 million homes. That's enough to power a city the size of London. But all that power of the Niagara Falls is absolutely dwarfed by the power of Jesus. Listen to what Colossians chapter 1 verses 16 and 17 tell us about the power of Jesus. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That takes your breath away. Now hold on to your hair and your glasses, your teeth, because this next statement is not just going to take your breath away. It will blow you away. It's found in Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, and Paul writes these words. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. You know Christ and you experience the power of his resurrection. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for Great Parks Chapel. Father, thank you for everyone who's going to be watching this message. Father, please, through Jesus Christ, according to Ephesians chapter 1, would you please, through Jesus Christ, uh, give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we may know Jesus. Father, please open the eyes of our understanding uh, that we may know of the hope of his calling in us and that we may know of the riches of our glorious inheritance in him. Father, and uh, may we have our eyes open so that we may know the exceeding greatness of his power in us who believe. Amen. Well, hello, my name is Mark, and we're going to explore together uh, uh, this power of Jesus Christ through a sort examination of that power and to see what that power has to do for us who believe today and forever. Now, the power of Jesus Christ is most clearly seen in his resurrection. Turn with me to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. And in verses 17 and 18 is where we'll be reading. What we see here in John chapter 10 is that the, rever the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is a clear, obvious demonstration of the power of God. Uh, Jesus says in John chapter 10 verse 17, Therefore, my father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This command I have received from my father. Jesus received power and authority at the command of his father, uh, the ability to lay down his earthly life and to take it up again. That is a power that's unknown to all of us human beings. That's a power that is literally from out of this world. See, the command from God we have, the authority we have, well, 
it's this. The wages of sin is death. That's the command God has on us. Uh, and that, that, uh, uh, that, that, that death means separation uh, from God. Uh, the command we're under from God is that it is destined for man to die once and after that the judgment. We have no power. We have no authority to lay down our earthly life or have our earthly life taken from us and then have the power to take up that earthly life again. The power to, to, to have your life taken from you. And, and the ability to to raise up that that earthly life again is a power that 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 only God has. It is a power that was demonstrated clearly in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Well, turn with me to Acts chapter one. Acts chapter one, and we'll be looking at verse three. Now we know definitely that Jesus Christ was dead. There's many proofs, many bits of evidence that that show that Jesus Christ definitely was dead. Uh, One of those bits of proofs is the angel. Remember the angel when when Mary went to the tomb and the angel said, I know that you're looking for Jesus who was dead, but now he's risen. And the important thing about that testimony is that the angel came from heaven, heaven, the place of of purity and holiness, where there's there's no lying, just truth. And the messengers from heaven are totally truthful, totally trustworthy. So this message, as it were, from God through the angel is totally trustworthy. Jesus was dead and now he's alive. And in Acts chapter one, verse three, Luke tells us that Jesus presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them, the apostles, during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now, that word infallible means it's undeniable, it's, it's unarguable. What it means is you look at these infallible proofs, it doesn't mean you come away with the conclusion that Jesus was the Son of God or with the impetus that you yourself will believe in Jesus and follow him, but there's no way you can look at these proofs and deny that Jesus, who once was dead, is now living. Well, what were some of those infallible proofs? Well, one was simply that he ate. He ate with some of his his followers in John chapter 20, for example. Now, one thing you don't do as you prepare for a funeral, you think about a funeral, you plan for funerals, one thing that's on your checklist is not, okay, who's going to bring food for the body in the casket? (laughs) Dead people have no need to eat. Living people do. Jesus ate. He who once was dead is now alive. Another infallible proof is that he spoke. Dead people do not speak. Jesus spoke. And the disciples and the apostles, his followers, saw Jesus Christ, and they walked with him. Dead people don't walk. Jesus was alive and he walked. For example, in Luke chapter 24, he walked with his two followers who were headed for Emmaus. And the apostles were able to touch Jesus, feel him. They they handled him. And that was important because it proved that Jesus wasn't just a spirit or a ghost or a phantom or anything like that. He wasn't just a figment of their imagination. And it's important also that Jesus showed himself alive by these infallible proofs over a period of 40 days. See, the number 40 for zero in the Bible is very important. My research tells me that the number 40 in the Bible represents a period of testing or trial. And God does test our faith. 
And that's for our benefit so that we know our faith is genuine and so that we know that God really does have power, that he really is able, that he really is a promise keeping God. And another thing this number 40 symbolizes is not just a period of testing or trial, but it's also symbolic of an, an opportunity to reflect upon the truths of God. And it gives an opportunity for uh, us to be satisfied within ourselves that God really is truthful. And so you have the number 40 repeated throughout the Bible in very many instances. For example, Jesus, remember, he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and Satan came and tested him and Jesus passed that test. And he was convinced once again that God is faithful, that God will work his will through Jesus and that God would protect him from the evil one. The spies, on the other hand, failed the test. Remember, they were sent out to spy on the promised land, that land that God had promised to give the Israelites as a new homeland. Well, for 40 days, they spied out the land. And at the end of the 40 days, they failed the test. They weren't assured that God was faithful enough or powerful enough to take them safely and successfully into the promised land. On the other hand, you have Jonah. Remember, Jonah goes to the city of Nineveh and under the direction and instruction of God, he declares 40 days from now and this city will be destroyed. Well, the Ninevites took advantage of that 40 days and they reflected and they determined that God is truthful, that that judgment would fall. And so they decided to repent. They, they changed their ways and, and they, they changed their attitudes and their thoughts and, and their actions and their lifestyles. And they trusted God and, and aligned themselves with God and, and judgment was averted. Well, at the end of these 40 days, as Jesus showed himself alive by many infallible proofs, the apostles passed the test. How do we know that? Well, look at that phrase at the very end of Acts chapter 1 verse 3. It says, Jesus presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during 40 days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. That's a statement that's full of confidence, full of belief. And the significance of that is, remember, before Jesus' sufferings, before his death, and before his powerful resurrection, Jesus would speak to the uh, apostles of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. But remember what their reaction was. It was full of doubt, wasn't it? They had questions. Uh, there was confusion. There was uncertainty. But now they speak with confidence. Luke writes full of confidence, full of assurance uh, that Jesus was who he said he was and that these things he, he speaks of are certain and true. What made the difference? Well, it was the powerful resurrection of Jesus Christ that produced that change. Turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, verse 4. And it says in Romans chapter 1, verse 4, that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. In other words, uh, Jesus was, was declared to be holy. Uh, he was declared to be the Son of God. He was declared to be God in flesh as he proclaimed. We uh, have um, the right to be captured forever uh, by death. Uh, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. And that's separation from God now and forever. We deserve um, 
uh, uh, be held forever by death as a penalty, as a uh, what we deserve for our sinful nature. Jesus was not able to be held by death. Death had no hold on Jesus. Death had no right to, to keep Jesus because of his holiness, his purity, because he was God himself in the flesh. And the apostle realized this as Jesus powerfully was raised uh, from death to life. Well, that power of Jesus Christ is demonstrated in his rising uh, from uh, death back to life. What does that have uh, in store for us who believe both today and forever? Well, I hope you're sitting down as we discuss this short list of uh, effects that the power of Jesus Christ has in those of us who believe, because it might not be the type of power you expect. Well, for example, one thing that the power of Jesus Christ does in us who believe is it, it enables us to confess our sin. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. You see, we're very good at justifying our sin, giving reason and excuse for our sin, giving room for our sin. But here in Matthew 5, 3, it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's a union there uh, between the sinner and God, between the sinner and the kingdom of heaven. In our natural state, though, remember the wages of sin is death and there's separation. And what happens as we continue to justify ourselves and, and think that sin is okay or think that we can earn our way to heaven is that we're not in position, therefore, to, to turn from ourself to the only Savior who saves. So confession, uh, reminding ourselves that we are weak, that we are helpless within ourselves to fulfill God's laws, that we are powerless uh, uh, to, to live up to the, to the glorious standard of God uh, blocks salvation. But those who confess, and that word confess simply means to agree with God. We agree with God that we are weak, that we are deserving of his condemnation, that we are unable to live out his laws. Well, that opens the door for us to turn away from ourselves turn to Jesus, the only Savior. What else does the power of Jesus Christ do in those who believe? Well, it enables us to be humble. Again, naturally, we are we are prideful. And we live in an environment, a culture, a world which, which tells us to, to be strong, to work and earn, and to do good and deserve. And that bleeds into our spirituality also. We live in a very much a DIY culture. DIY is very popular and, and that relates to our spiritual nature also. We think we can do it ourselves and earn our own way uh, to God through our own actions, our own efforts, our own experiences. Well, it's only the power of Jesus Christ that enables us, that opens up our eyes to the fact that we cannot do it yourself when it comes to earning God's favor. And it's the humility of Jesus Christ that we need that comes to us through the power of Jesus Christ in us who believe. Well, what's a, a third thing that the power of Jesus Christ does in those of us who believe? Well, it enables us to serve. It enables us to serve. Turn to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, looking at verses 43 to 45 of Mark chapter 10. Sorry, Mark chapter 10. Verses 43 through 45 in Mark chapter 10. 
You see, naturally we are selfish. Naturally we like the attention and the spotlight to be in us. Naturally we like people in the world to serve us and serve our needs. But Jesus says in Mark 10, 43, Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires to be great among you shall be your servant, and whoever of you desires to be first shall be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. It's the power of Jesus Christ that enables us to break the shackles of our own selfishness and enables us to look towards others in wholehearted service. Well, another thing that the power of Jesus Christ does in those of us who believe is it enables us to forgive. You know, for decades, I have collected uh, anecdotes and illustrations and headlines and newspaper clippings and, and, and stories. And because I do a lot of speaking, I can use those illustrations, those newspaper clippings uh, uh, in many ways as I present uh, uh, talks. And one thing I've noticed over the decades is that, you know, when someone forgives, that becomes front page headline news. Remember the Stephen Lawrence stabbing? And, and how the mom forgave, and that was front page headline news. Why is that so? Well, that's because again, naturally, our natural inclination, our natural expectation is for revenge. And we give room and, and we expect uh, if, if something like what happened to Stephen Lawrence happens to, to our family, the expectation is that there would be anger, uh, there would be unforgiveness, there would be a desire for, for revenge and, and for pain to be done to the people who perpetrated such a horrible crime. Ephesians 4.32 says, we are to forgive though, as Jesus Christ forgave us. How did Jesus Christ forgive us? Well, the Bible says it's while we were still sinning that Jesus died for us. Jesus didn't wait until we said sorry. Jesus didn't wait until we cleaned up our act. He didn't wait until we were better behaved. He forgave freely. And that's how we are supposed to forgive also. And we can't do that naturally within ourselves. We need the power of Jesus Christ working in us that enables us to forgive from the heart. Well, one final way that the power of Jesus Christ works in us who believe is enables us to love our enemies and to do good to those who mistreat us. And again, that is so unnatural within ourselves to do good to those who mistreat us. Therefore, we need a supernatural force. And that supernatural force is the person and the power of Jesus Christ, which enables us to love our enemies and to do good to those mistreat us. Well, we are living in we are living in, in a challenging time during this coronavirus lock-in. Things are so different, aren't they? So many things have changed. I was talking on the phone to a friend of mine who was a key worker uh, just last week, and he just mentioned he's he's out almost every day going to work as a care worker, and he mentioned how there's just no traffic around. That's a major change. Lots of things have changed, but you need to be aware that there are some things that are still the same. One thing, for example, during this coronavirus lockdown that remains the same is that Satan is still active. Satan still hates your soul. Satan still wants to come and rob and steal and kill and destroy. 
Another thing that's still the same is that your sin nature is still wide awake. Coronavirus lockdown has not affected your sin nature. It hasn't dulled your sin nature at all. Your own heart is still going to deceive you. Uh, the, the, the logic in your own mind is still going to lead you away from the Savior and away from the cross. Well, those two things are true, but there's a third thing that's also true during all the changes of this coronavirus lockdown, and that is this. The power of Jesus Christ is not corrupted at all. The power of Jesus Christ is still intact. Jesus is still the sovereign Lord, and he is still the power that we need in these times of change because Satan is still active and your sin nature is still wide awake. Well, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. And there we find these words in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. There's a power from Jesus Christ that gives you hope now, and this power is not affected by the coronavirus lockdown, and it's not going to be affected by time. It's not going to, to fade away. It's not going to rust away. It's not going to give way. You will be with God forever. You'll be God's forever. You'll be in God's favor forever. Not because of your effort, but because the power of Jesus Christ in you enables you to confess, to be humble, to serve, to forgive, to love those who mistreat you, and to continue to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as the only means of salvation have you experienced that power within yourself? Would you like that life, that forever life, that life of power, that life of hope, that life of forgiveness that never fades away? Turn to Jesus Christ, the one who lived, died, rose again, and is alive to give you power for living now and forever. <laughs>